Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Hello, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching. And today we're gonna speak all about what happens if you don't eliminate the highly sensitive daily meltdown cycle or daily shutdown cycle for your sensitive teen early okay so today if you're wondering you know why not just see if this plays out if my child will grow out of it we're going to cover all about that today okay so first things first we want to address what the daily meltdown cycle looks like what the daily shutdown cycle looks like and why why am i qualified to talk about this okay so for those of you who are just tuning in to our show, I'm Megan Thompson. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor, registered play therapist supervisor, and that's my professional background, right? I've got 10 uh, years of being a child play therapist and a specialty in working with highly sensitive kids and have grown a, a large group practice in the state of Maryland for therapy for sensitive children. We've been solving the problem of chronic suicidality and chronic self-harm for children and teenagers, along with young adults, in that mental health private practice for many years. And right now, you know, in in terms of my my expertise and how I'm speaking to you, is from the lens of being a transformational coach. So in this company, how you're reaching me now is uh, is related to how we provide transformational coaching internationally to parents or parents and teens alike, depending on uh, what what setup that has. And myself and my team have consistent expertise over 10 years for many of of the members of my team in helping parents or helping uh, professionals in their, um, for the professionals on my team, helping people in in their field. They've had over 10 years of experience. And so our specialty here is in breaking down the meltdown cycle or the shutdown cycle, whether your child explodes, that's a meltdown, right? or implodes, that's a shutdown. I'm gonna just take it inside and implode without you seeing, right? Explode without you seeing, that's an implosion. So we've been dealing with this for 10 years, right? We served in the coaching company over 200 families out of this meltdown cycle consistently. We do this uh, and we've been doing that for years. And I wanna speak about that because what happens, right? When When we support parents in changing the dynamic in their own home, the parents that we help, they know how this plays out if they don't fix the problem now. That's what helped them jump into the services with us and uh, what helped them take action, right? And so I wanna cover this because many of you are, are watching have some means of expertise in this field. You know, 70% of the clients that we work with have in, in a two-parent pair at least one parent who works in the helping field, whether they be uh, social workers, mental health providers, uh, psychologists, uh, therapists, what have you, 
or in the medical field, they're nurses, doctors, veterinarians. And then lastly, help, uh, helping in the, in the educational field. These are teachers, okay? Um, typically professors or, um, or ele early elementary school teachers, high school teachers, etc. And occasionally we get people who work in the criminal justice field, um, police officers, and um, uh, people who've worked in prison systems, etc. But, but when we take a, a pretty strong statistic that experts in behavior management, experts in emotional management come to us, to solve the problem in their own homes. I hope you can listen to that and hear that the, the focus that we're gonna speak about today as to why you need to solve this problem now is coming with a lot of experience, but also a lot of uh, trusted families who trust us to create the results for their, for their family as well. So let's get down to it, right? What does a meltdown look like? Meltdown looks like day in and day out, over and over and over again, your kiddo is hitting, kicking, screaming, saying nonsensical things, telling you one thing, and then when you give it to them, they scream back at you that they don't want it, right? That's a meltdown behavior where your child is completely disconnected from the reality of the situation. They cannot hear you, see you, talk to you in a logical-minded conversation. That is meltdown behavior. They are half there, if you will. Um, emotions are running the show. And then a shutdown is the exact thing, but uh, without the conversation piece, right? So emotions are running the show, but your child is, or teenager, uh, especially for highly sensitive teens, they are going inward. They're closing their eyes. They are looking down. They are shrugging their shoulders. They're saying life would be better off without me. You don't love me. Or they're storming off and slamming their door and staying plugged into screens or just um, checked out of life. It might be that they're reading or drawing, but they simply will not talk to you about what the problem is either in that moment or even afterwards. And so what we see for highly sensitive kids stuck in this daily meltdown cycle is that they are consistently avoiding their big emotions. You've heard me say this again and again. And so when it comes to a head, because you got to look at it sometime, there's an explosion or an implosion, right? Because you can't, um, we can't avoid the inevitable, which is that humans are feeling beings and humans need to feel their feelings and they need to be a-okay doing that. And so if you're stuck in this cycle and your child is stuck in that cycle and you're trying to support your child in, in breaking this pattern by showing them that they need to suck it up, or by showing them that they that their problem isn't that big, or by showing them that their problem bothers you and it makes you sad and they need to help you feel better. Um, or you're showing them that if they don't, uh, if they don't manage their own behavior, that they'll, they won't earn things that are important to them, whether that be screen time, sticker charts, or time with a family. Maybe you send them to time out, et cetera, away to the, away to the room. If all of the strategies, the, those interventions are, the, are things that you're using to try to break out of the pattern, then I am telling you right now, you are not eliminating the meltdown cycle. Point blank, end of story, period. There is no more of this, the end. And I say that definitively because none of those strategies work. They actually make the problem worse. And so if that's the case, right, then we need to talk about why you need to fix it now in a way that works, right? Okay, so you got to use an effective strategy. And so if you've just started working, uh, hearing with, with us and, and following us on, on any means, whether uh, you're listening to this on the podcast, YouTube channel, Facebook, what have you, Instagram, um, 
then that's fine. You know, keep looking, keep reading, keep keep um, checking out our emails, etc. Um, but be sure to tune in because this is a message that you'll hear consistently, but we're going to dive in deeper as to what actually happens. What is the worst case scenario? And then what is the generally okay case scenario, right? Look, what is the scenario? I should say this in a different way, right? If you're generally okay with your kids meltdowns right now, you think that it could get worse. And so therefore you're just trying to count your blessings. Then let's just notice how that mentality and how your treading water experiences now is going to play out in the future, right? So what sparked me to have this conversation today was actually a, a small fire in my office. <laughs> so if you're watching this and, and you can see um, what I'm showing you, I have a tiny little soy candle. I don't know if you can tell, but this aluminum um, tin here um, was a nice shiny silver. And, and if you're watching this, uh, you can notice and I'll describe for the podcast listeners um, that this is now um, uh, like a charcoal gray, <laughs> not shiny silver anymore. So let me talk about that, right? Because we know all the time, never leave a candle unattended, right? Today, I went to a meeting, had a, you know, hosted a meeting for my team. I was hungry at the end, I went upstairs, I defrosted my uh, lunch and was waiting for it to defrost. I was cooking shrimp and um, was waiting for it to defrost and had an inclination that I should just uh, go ahead and, and get my exercise done while that's, um, while, while that's defrosting. And so I go downstairs to, to, um, to change and, and to get ready for that. And what happens, I notice that in the small two inch tin of a candle, which had been, you know, close to being all done, um, the, I think it's like, it was a beautiful candle, it was a gift. Um, the, I think it's, it says white tea and ginger, but I think what was in there was uh, some flower petals. And the flower petals had started to burn. And now, meanwhile, at my desk, I don't know if it looks like yours, but there are books that I'm in the process of reading. That's plural. Yes. Magazines that I'm in the process of reading, uh, you know, bills to file and, and things like that. Right. So my, my, my desk is not pristine. Um, also, it's a desk, so it's flammable, um, let alone all of this equipment I have. And so, you know, from a from a standpoint of understanding the danger, uh, two seconds later, um, that three inch flame coming out of the two inch tin could have um, could have sparked a fire. And, um, you know, our house is, is to modern code, which means we have sprinklers, all of my equipment, uh, computer and, and all that would have been soaking wet, just literally destroyed. Now, don't tell my dad <laughs> that I left a candle unattended because uh, we call him Safety Steve for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's the nickname he got from his friends and then his kids, we, we kept it because it's so fitting. <laughs> um, but what I think is, is, is super important to understand is, um, is that we, we make decisions with the expectation that things are going to turn out, right? And um, until they don't, right? Until they don't. And so when I was having this contemplation, because I never turn my brain off in terms of solving this uh, problem. It's just so important to me, right? I was, I wanted to liken that to this conversation around ending the meltdown cycle because you can hear from, you know, what is it? Smokey the bear, right? Never leave a, a, a candle unattended. Um, 
and you know that that's relevant. But if you even if you if you put it in your kitchen kitchen counter like I do, um, it's highly unlikely it's going to catch fire. But it's also true that the kitchen counter might be a less flammable substance than your than your debt than your desk, right? And so um, my bad habit uh, worked. Um, worked against me, right? So I can tell you right now, I'm not going to put a sticker on that nice um, burn spot on my desk. I'm going to keep it there as a reminder to never light a candle in my office um, and leave it undetended. And so um, let's, let's focus here, right? Because when we think about making decisions for parenting highly sensitive kids and breaking out of that daily meltdown cycle, if your kiddo is losing their mind and feeling emotionally out of control on a daily basis, that creates a significant level of damage for their psyche, as well as for their body, as well as for their relationships. And we're going to talk about that because you might think you have plenty of time, but your child lives now now the here and now your child lives in the moment okay and so when they experience day after day after day after day of feeling tired of frustrated and out of control this is your child's life they don't know anything different and if they don't know anything different how can they hang on feeling like it's gonna get better right and so if that's the way that your child is thinking and feeling and being, and I'm going to say it's a cold, hard truth. We hate to hear that about our kids, right? But if I were a doctor and your child was engaging in some pretty significantly risky behaviors, like uh, running into traffic and playing Russian roulette, and you had, um, you know, at the risk of, of engaging in a, um, a debate here, um, you had firearms that are left unlocked, right? Most people who own firearms notice safety for safety wise, you need to keep them locked up, right? Um, then as your doctor, I would need to tell you that that is an unsafe behavior and here are the risks, right? Same thing. If you're, if you're not putting your seatbelt on for your kid, then a professional who notices how the, what the odds are, what the statistics are, and then how this is going to turn out. They're going to tell you. They're not going to watch you throw your kid in the car and um, tell them to sit down and hang on tight and say, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's typical. Like that's totally fine. Your odds are, you, you know, you're, you're, you'll be, you guys are going to be okay. You're just going up the street, right?" Here's the deal. Given all of my experience and the fact that part of my professional experience has been working with with chronically suicidal people in teenagers in residential care and supervising a clinical team that, that saw all of the clients in that, in that residential uh, care facility, I have seen chronic suicidality for, su for sensitive kids who grow up in an invalidating environment six ways to Sunday in the worst case scenario. These are kids who are in and out of the hospitals. They're swallowing batteries when they can't access razor blades. I'm not kidding. And these are children who weren't traumatized in their childhood beyond living in an invalidating environment. I'm gonna pause there because I know that that can really hit hard. But when you grow up living in an invalidating environment, that is traumatic for a child because of the intense body experience of feeling out of control of your own body. 
And so, yes, of course, some of the clients that we served in that residential care facility and all of the clients that I worked with in the, the outpatient setting who ended up in the early uh, years of my career, who ended up in residential care or in out intensive outpatient or in inpatient or respite care, they all had trauma histories because that's where I started my career and working uh, significantly with, with pretty significantly traumatized children. But in, as my career shifted and I started to understand the highly sensitive trait and I started to work exclusively with highly sensitive people and highly sensitive children and teens, I have to tell you that your children are not exempt from this experience just because you're not abusing them or they are not subject to abuse from somebody else. And without telling, you know, not telling you that would be like, exactly watching you unbuckle like unbuckle your kid and you saying well you know if I drive past the first red light I, and I'm, I'm going around the corner beyond uh, the first red light then I definitely buckle him in but you know if we're just going around the corner through one red light I don't really bother <laughs> of course you I mean you even if not a professional in the child development field would tell whatever adult that they're they're nuts, right? You wouldn't just look at them wide-eyed and be like, uh-huh, come on, you have a moral compass, right? And so when we think about this from a standpoint of understanding where I'm coming from and where, where you know our team comes from and understanding what work we've done and what we've literally seen in, in these children who are struggling so significantly, I'm not here to tell you to, for scare tactics. I'm here to tell you that this is absolutely in your future if you don't solve this now. And so then let's, let's, let's break that down, right? Let's clearly cover where your odds are, right? And what you could be doing to stop it immediately. And let alone understand the fact that your child's potential is not being met, right? So, so we're not talking about even swinging to the other end of the pendulum, which is your child's living their best life. Right now we're talking about for your child, if they're saying they wish they were dead, they are living their worst life because that's all your kid knows. They don't know what it's like to grow up in a home being abused. They know what it's like to be growing up in a home where your caregiver doesn't understand you. And I speak so passionately about, you, about that because now you have the information and you as a parent need to be able to change, need to be able to change that. And I'm going to say this because had my parents known this, this had members of my team whose siblings um, are suffering now knew this, all of them hear what we have to say and, and all of the research and see the results that we create for our clients. And they, you know, th those adults, they watch this and they, they, they wish this information was available to them when they were raising young children. And so it is my duty to tell you this and it is my duty to tell it to you straight because there are so many professionals out there who are just sugarcoating this stuff, who are just saying, well, your kid's highly sensitive, meltdowns come with the territory, or they're telling you how to solve, solve quote unquote, one meltdown, like how to get your kid to go to birthday parties just fine or how to get your kid to show up at school without losing their mind. But they themselves are struggling with, with intense behaviors at home consistently, or they've helped consistently uh, many families become complacent with what's possible. And what I mean by that is just 
deciding that daily meltdowns at home are part of the part of the gig and that eventually highly sensitive adults mature into being receptive to therapy and that that just is the trajectory of your child's life because quote unquote they're highly sensitive now i have something to tell you your child's identity does not need to be their label unless you maintain the amount the meltdown cycle in your household and that is something that I will say again and again and again, given the results that we provided for our clients. And these are regular everyday Joes, in addition to the, the, the people whom this, this topic is not, um, not foreign, right? Like I said earlier in our conversation, 70% of the families that we work with have at least one parent in the field. Um, but what that means is that in that two-parent pair, it's, it's really less likely that both parents work in the field. Usually the other parent is like an accountant or an IT professional or um, you know, some, other, some other professional in, in, some other, in some other way, whether they work in, um, in, in maintenance or uh, they, they work with their hands in some other way or they, they are stay-at-home parent. Um, or they have expertise in some other field, um, product development, marketing. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to go down the laundry list of career trajectories that our clients have, but I want to name that if that's you, right? <laughs> if both of you and or or one of you in, in your uh, parent unit has no expertise in the parenting field, this change is also possible for you. Okay, so you don't have to be an expert in order to apply what we teach at MTC um, and, and, and then, you know, have that work, right? Um, you, can, you can dive right into what we say and change the trajectory quite quickly um, with, with making these strategies work consistently. And we'll, we'll talk about what that, what that means. But again, you know, the whole thing of, of don't, um, don't leave a candle uh, lit unattended, <sighs> is only really an adage until you understand what the gravity of that situation is, right? So let's, let's cover that today for you and your particular family. If your child is dealing with these daily meltdowns or your teen is struggling with those shutdowns, it means that they don't feel safe in their own body. And children who don't feel, and adults, adolescents who don't feel safe in their own body, they don't feel connected to life being worth living. And whether your child is saying it to you or not, if they feel that unsafe, that they can't manage their own body, there is a significant disconnect between how they feel about what they're capable of accomplishing and what they think is possible for them in their life. And then also how they're assessing who's available to help them to include their parents. And this is really important because we know you've been listening. I know you've been listening. So this is not a matter of, of saying that you haven't tried to break this pattern, right? Now, earlier, I, I mentioned all of the shame-based or ineffective parenting strategies that you might be using without even realizing that those are shame-based or ineffective stra parenting strategies. And some of you have been trying gentle parenting and, have and are still dealing with daily meltdowns because it has you compromising your boundaries and having a really hard time managing limit setting and trying to and walking on eggshells, right? So this pattern, whether you're, you're trying to get your kid to shape up or ship out or you're trying to, to beat around the bush and try to see when your kid's maybe someday ready, either way, you're stuck, right? 
And so we know it's because you want your child to live the best life that they ha can have. And that's why we're having this conversation today. Not because um, you're just A-OK -okay sticking your head in the sand, right? Those are not the people who stick around listening to what I have to say because I, because I, I say it so bluntly so many, so many times, right? So let's focus on this, right? And, and let's honor the fact that you are ready to fix this problem. And if you are, then let's dive in. Let's cover what happens to keep that momentum going and why you need to keep that momentum going. Because if you don't, here's how this plays out, right? Parents of sensitive kids notice consistently that if your child is breaking down or shutting down, they are distracting themselves from their emotions and from their problems. And, and that is just one piece of the puzzle right and um and it's such a such an important part but it is important to observe that getting your kid to look at the problem and to talk about it you know you can't force your kid to do that so don't uh i don't want to i want to caution you if, if you're seeing that as like as a you know mind-blowing moment but also looking at that as an opportunity to help your child start to talk about their problems because kids who are experiencing major emotions like this have a really hard time doing that so when we think about how that plays out, right? What that plays out is first and foremost in their relationships, right? Because you, you're tired, you're tired. And, and when you're tired as a, as a parent of a sensitive kid and you're trying six ways to Sunday and you're throwing things at the wall to see what sticks and you're reading books till one in the morning and you're, you're watching Google to see if there's a new blog post with a magic trick up, up its sleeve or, or Sally Sue blog blogger has a, has a different idea, right? You're, you're trying to do all of that. And with the inevitable exhaustion that comes with a lack of success of breaking out of this pattern comes dread dread comes next. And so if your child knows that you dread them, because again, remember, we're, we're raising highly sensitive kids here, they can feel that emotion from us. We're raising kids who are, who are experiencing dread from their parents, then, then that creates an even bigger divide, okay, a, a, an even bigger break in their relationship with you. And highly sensitive kids struggle to maintain relationships when they don't have um, that parent-child relationship very to be thoroughly connected and if your child is dealing with those daily meltdowns and you yourself are exhausted um, which obviously we know those two things go hand in hand um, then your child knows that their behavior is impacting their relationship with you and that feels really unsafe for them and so what they start to learn is my close relationships aren't stable my close relationships aren't safe. And when your child consistently learns that over and over and over again, they struggle to communicate their own needs because they start criticizing themselves about whether or not they should because they're worried about upsetting whoever they're in a relationship with. You, with. And so this is you, this is their teachers, this is you know later on their loved ones, uh, their intimate partners, and you know their spouses or, or co-parents alike as they age. And let alone, you know, their bosses, right? I can't let my boss down because if I tell my boss anything uh, that indicates weakness, my, my boss will be upset with me. I don't want to be a burden. And um, their friendships start to um, start to be a one-way street. They start to feel like a wallflower or like a doormat because they can't let themselves into the relationship, but they also uh, don't think that they can take up any space in that relationship by asking for what they need or by, by advocating for what they need.
need. And so they, they do one of two things, right? So we, see, we might see this behavior in your child already. And so I want to pay attention to this, right? If your child already is starting to hesitate to make new friends because they're worried that their friends don't like them, then this is, this is a clear sign that this problem is pervasive. It's not just between you and your kid. And again, remember what I said, most parents feel like they have more time because you're, you as a parent have stamina. But right, because of course, like this is your kid, you're going to do whatever it takes, and you're going to raise them, you're not going to abandon them. And your child is already abandoning their own perception of what's their what they're capable of and what other people are capable of in relating to them. And that's really important to pay attention to. And the next piece is that for for that at this point, how does that play out, right? It plays out into a, a, a challenge networking in the professional world, right? You see people who are people-pleasing workaholics in your profession. And some of those people lead with their protective ego, right? Like, I, I, I can do everything, right? And they, they kind of shine um, as like a one-upper, if you will. Um, so there's a label, right? Um, and an effective label. But as adults, you, you know who those people are. Um, and one can assume that, that, that people who, who act like that are probably pretty insecure. They need to show their works, that, like their, their jobs in the world, their accomplishments to help you feel happy about them, right? Um, or they need to demonstrate that their work indicates how they're worth, right? But the flip side is people who are yes ma'am people who do all the stuff, right? And they, they get the job done and they're people pleasing in that aspect, um, but they don't put themselves out there. So they're stuck in their careers. They're not asking for raises. Uh, they're taking taking um, uh, they're taking pay cuts uh, just in terms of in, in terms of entering the the job field, quote unquote, taking what they can get because they don't think that they're worth enough. And um, and this comes from um, financial success too, but. Um, I'm also speaking about a sense of, of capacity to get what you want in life. And that's true in your relationships uh, that are both friendship, um, love and intimacy, professional, and then also in the community, right? No one would really care what I have to say about anything that's important, any cause that's important to me because um, I don't want to rock the boat or I think I would, I would be a burden. Now, remember, highly sensitive kids see the possibility and the potential. And if they don't have a voice come adulthood, then they don't get to change the world. And I know for sure that highly sensitive kids are the quintessential uh, change agents for our world because they are the fire alarms. They are telling you wide open, wee woo, wee woo, something's wrong here. Um, and that's the sound that my little kiddo used to make <laughs> to, 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 be, um, to, to be a fire alarm. Wee woo, wee woo. <laughs> um, and, and, and so we live kind of near a, a fire department in our, in our town. And so we hear the, the sirens all the time. And, um, and I, I always liken that. I say this to, to my clients all the time that, um, that when your highly, highly sensitive child is raising their voice, is, is screaming from the rooftops, metaphorically or literally, it means that they're telling you that something's wrong. It doesn't mean that they're telling you that they don't like you or that they're manipulating you to get what, you, what they want, right? They're telling you that there's something wrong. I don't have the skill set to communicate my needs effectively, so I need to go to the nth degree to tell you what's really going on here. And what, what, what happens is that they end up uh, struggling significantly 
as a result. And, and, and again, that, that dread, unfortunately for you, builds into resentment. And so when we look into that resentment, right, we see that potential playing out for your child in their career, right? They can struggle with procrastination in even pre-adolescence. We see 11-year-olds who are waiting to get their homework done, middle school projects till the last minute, forgetting to tell parents um, when, when they don't have an executive functioning concern, right? Your child is extremely um, organized in, in other avenues of their life, but they avoid the assignment because they're fearful of getting the wrong grade. They're fearful of how things are going to turn out, right? And so there's procrastination um, that is not tied to a disorganization of the brain, right? It's an, an, a neurodivergence in that perspective. Um, what, what it's tied to is fear, and so when you think about that, it's really important to understand what avenue you're looking at for your child and where you're starting to see the signs are already there. I described an 11-year-old, but maybe your kid's already, this is happening and your kid's eight. That plays out into not being able to, um, to survive in college. When we think about people who are failure to thrive, young adults who don't make it into college, um, and, and uh, let alone out of college, right? Um, if that's a track that they are fully academically capable of, of meeting, but emotionally that's what's holding them back. And this is what I'm talking about. If they want to go to college and they can't, quote unquote, can't because of their emotional skill set that is lacking. This is the population that I'm talking about. Highly sensitive young adults struggle in this avenue because they don't see the ability to manage their big emotions enough to organize the fact that they can handle problems step by step by step. This is a problem that I saw in my own family. My sister would come home every weekend to help with my parents, helping her complete her homework because she was so overwhelmed she couldn't organize it herself. She, she, she was not able to take it one step at a time, one bite at a time because the challenge was that every problem was an emergency growing up. And as a result, everybody responded like it was an emergency. So she never built the skills to handle it on her own. So come, come, um, come college age, the problem perpetuated, right? People don't grow into emotional management. It's just simply not something you can do on your own without a heavy investment in time, uh, resources, and, um, and relationship failures that lead you to that, right? Because you need to build insight. And so if, if you're a parent who's trying to help your kid and you're waiting for them to build insight, if they're blaming you, they're not building insight. They're not building insight in a way that's motivational. They're building insight in a way that gives their power away to you. And you know that your child needs to take their own responsibility for their own behavior. Um, but you can't do it in a way that tells them that, right? Because that's shaming and then it puts them in a position to feel even crappier about themselves than they already do. They know they have change to make, but they don't know how to make the change. And they don't really know what actually needs to change. Um, all they know is that they don't feel understood and um, they want to do better and they want to they want to show up like their peers are showing up and and that's really really tricky when you're highly sensitive and you don't have skills because you can com compare yourself to a non-highly sensitive child who quote unquote seems to have it all put together and um, and that's significantly disempowering for for your child to watch day in and day out um, there's a lot of self-restraint that has to happen in a school setting or in a community setting sports what have you um, when your child is feeling like they have to measure up and they don't really have the skills to do it, they're just trying to hold it together. So when we think about this young adulthood, young, young adulthood, I'm going to speak about, you know, I spoke about it from my family's perspective, but this is not new. It's not unique to my own personal family. 
Um, this is something that we see day in and day out, and you probably know a few people who have not made it through their career, um, their career plans, right? They didn't, they didn't, um, I mean, I know people graduating when I, when I was in college who didn't graduate. Um, and these aren't people who were up late at night, right? They, they weren't up late at night partying. They were stuck in frozen in fear. Um, those are the, the, the people who, who fail out of college that I'm talking about or drop out of college that I'm talking about. And the same thing would be relevant if their passion was art, if their passion was, um, you know, where they didn't want to pursue a college degree, um, if their passion was some sort of um, vocational activity or, uh, sorry, career industry. Um, so it doesn't matter that if your job is, is in whatever industry your job is in, right? It doesn't matter. What matters is are you able to see what you need to do and do it without feeling like your own, your own self is holding you back, right? That is the challenge of a highly sensitive child who right now in big emotional intensity is not going to be able to live up to their potential. And when we look at what is possible, right, uh, the next thing that I want to cover is the fact that working towards your big dreams um, ends up ending early, right? So you might have a highly sensitive child who grows up into a highly sensitive adult who puts forth the effort and gets 80% of the way there and then gets tired and then quits, right? So you might see this if your kid right now is in a sports um, experience and they just start to get wiped out come tournament season, right? Um, or right before tournament season, because they've been playing games and, and practice twice a week for your 11 year old is just too much right now. I'm not talking about practice twice a week for a six year old. <laughs> that would be too much. Um, and, and a okay for a sensitive kid, right? But we're talking about an 11 year old, 12 year old, U14, um, etc. Um, where, where a sports practice is, is twice a week. And if that's the case and your kiddo has been working for this and excited about winning and, and like, you know, their team has the capacity to do that and they've been championing themselves and their team, but then they get so wiped out that they just want to call it quits and they're almost there. What happens? You feel like you need to just push them over the edge and you know that that creates a wedge in your relationship and you know that that's gonna be the same problem that leads to them not wanting to do next season's sports season because they know that there's no way out, right? There's, there's, no, there's no worst case scenario where they can say, I'm, I'm done. And, and so it puts you between a rock and a hard place. Do you end up supporting your, your kid in, um, in noticing where the limits are or do you help them see how they can go beyond their perceived sense of limits? And if your child's having daily meltdowns, that perception is skewed for them. So I really wanna cover all of this, right? Because your child doesn't have confidence in themselves to succeed in those moments and they can't look too far ahead because of that worry. And, and it's very difficult for them to be able to see the, the dream as a reality. Um, now, highly sensitive kids and kids alike, non-highly sensitive kids alike are, are excellent at seeing the best case scenario because they don't have all of the history of being an adult uh, living in an invalidating environment themselves or just living in a society where nothing is ever good enough, right? Um, so a child with skills and emotional management skills can see possibility and they can move through challenge. They don't get stuck in analysis paralysis or perfectionism, 
you know, hemming and hawing or thinking that they'll never get to it, right? And so when we think about what's possible for your kiddo, we really want to make sure that we're covering all of what you're, you're avoiding um, when we aren't directly addressing this, this pattern, okay? So when we cover all of this, I want to also cover what's possible, right? You've seen uh, my other, or you've heard my other talk about this, the other, our show about what your highly sensitive child's potential is all about and where the possibility lies. And if you haven't, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes, uh, definitely, and we'll, we'll post that for you um, if you're listening here on, the, on a podcast. But I want to make sure that we're clear, right? What are we getting at? Are we getting at the fact that your child is here and you're going to wait for them to, to grow out of it? Or are you ready to break out of this yourself, right? Because if this conversation has led you to, to start to feel motivated to fix the problem, which I hope it does, then we need to figure out what, what fixes the problem, right? So the thing that we help our clients with consistently to be able to repeatedly grow their, their child's sense of feeling capable of solving their problems creatively, knowing that they can handle things even if they're hard, to be able to persist through challenge and try, try again, right? All of these things are necessary to see your child grow and develop and you need to be able to see that in every avenue of their life. You need to be able to see this at home, at school, in sports or whatever community engagement they're in and in their relationships with their siblings. And I say at home with you, and if they have siblings, we can keep that separate because those can be two different things, right? So how do I know that that's uh, something that you need to be able to see in all avenues? Uh, Because highly sensitive kids struggle to generalize their skill. What does that mean? It means that they struggle to demonstrate the same skill set in multiple avenues of their life unless you're solving this problem at the root. Otherwise, you're just in quick fix it mode and you're helping them handle soccer and then you're helping them handle school rather than helping them handle their big emotions no matter where they are, okay? So that's what we help our clients do. We help them do it systematically by supporting them in, in breaking out of their own mindset shifts and supporting supporting you and changing the way that you think about problems, changing the way that you uh, see what's possible for your child, and then saying changing the way that you actually talk to your child. Uh, we literally give our clients specific scripts to break this pattern immediately. So like I said before, it doesn't matter what your expertise is professionally, you can solve this problem too because we can we break it down to the nitty gritty granular and then we teach you how to master it. And what that what that does is it allows you to start to feel not only possibility in your own home, but empowered in your own home because your child needs to learn through you. You are the therapeutic change agent for your child, not somebody else. Your child needs to be able to heal the intensities of their own emotions through their relationship with you, right? And they need to be able to feel skillful in that, not from a place of feeling like they're broken. I said heal because it's intense and it's raw, but not because they're broken. Your child is not broken. And when we support your child in noticing that through their relationship with you, they start to feel possibility, capability, and we teach you exactly how to set limits effectively without using shame, without ripping toys away from them, 
without, um, you know, holding rewards over their head or, or threatening to take away their favorite toys um, to make them quote unquote comply, right? And we do this all playfully. You know, you, you heard my background earlier in today's show. And so, of course, we have to speak the language of children, which is play and fun and enjoyment because children see possibility best when you live in a place of possibility. So if you are exhausted, if you know that's possible for you, but if you have not been able to get out of your get out ahead of yourself, then I encourage you to book a call. Go ahead to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash talk or meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash teen talk and myself my team will talk to you about how to break out of this pattern. We'll start start first with covering where you're stuck, right? And whether or not your goals are in alignment with the services that we provide. And if that's the case, if your goals do meet what we help our clients do, then we'll tell you all about how that works. But honestly, I've got to tell you, the majority of the families that we work with some families don't make a good fit for what we do. And that might be your circumstances. It might be your child's history. Um, it might be some other need that you have. And that is A-OK. Uh, and so what we do in those moments is we, we shift you into finding exactly what resources you need in order to move the needle yourself consistently. Uh, and, and so we talk about that. But if, if it is certainly a conversation where uh, where we know what we do is going to work for your particular family, then we'll talk about it and we can get you started right away. All right, guys, have a wonderful day. It was lovely talking to you and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, Here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.